Hello, and welcome to the Embrace Your Destiny podcast. My name is Sandra Dawes, and I'm your host. And if you're new to the podcast, the Embrace Your Destiny podcast is all about sharing the journey of women who have been through a challenging time in their life and they offer advice on for anybody who may be going through something similar in their own life as well as sharing the biggest lessons they've learned throughout that journey and today my guest is cole witty and cole is a biointegration specialist and somatic stress tension trauma release expert everybody has a unique language that when integrated becomes an instinctual superpower Cole works closely with her husband, Ta, and together they have helped hundreds of people to integrate their wellness practice and understand how their subconscious thoughts and patterns become physical manifestations. They know that by feeling your way through into flow, using the nervous system to discharge constricting emotions and tap into the power of their body intelligence brings physical and emotional freedom. Her experience spans over 17 years of professional speaking after a coma from a drug overdose all over major television networks, the Untitled Nations, and universities. Five years as a personal trainer, fitness instructor, and wellness coach. Even winning Instructor of the Year with the largest fitness company in the U.S., Beachbody, and 10 years in shamanic plant medicines and Andean traditions. So welcome, Cole. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here and just to chat. (laughs) Yeah, so why don't we just dive in and get started with the journey you want to share with us today? Sure. I mean, it's been a journey. Um, For 35, I've had a few lives. So (laughs) my husband (laughs) actually calls me Cole Gump, you know, because it's like I go for a run and you next, next thing you know, I'm like talking to the president and, you know, getting kicked in the face by a horse. Like there's just these random acts throughout my life. And I think the you know, I did have a traumatic childhood or some traumatic events that caused me to be a pretty challenging teenager. So I got into abusing substances and pretty textbook, right? When you look at childhood trauma, what that evolves into. So that led to a coma from a drug overdose when I was 17. And I was dropped off in an emergency room, uh, unconscious and as a Jane Doe. At that point, I wasn't living at home. I'd moved out you know, got a roommate, got an apartment, dropped out of school and was trying to be an adult, I guess, you know? And so my parents didn't have any reason to question why I wasn't home. And through that process, that was the beginning of a turning point, but the coma itself wasn't like a wake-up call. What it was, was it really was showing me that I did not care if I lived or died. And in fact, I had no desire to live. And, you know, suicidal thoughts, all of that was very present uh, most of my life, actually. So through this process, though, my younger sister started getting into abusing drugs. And my turning point was seeing her and saying, I don't want her to be like me. She's talented. She had always gotten good grades. She was beautiful. I felt like she was so many things I wasn't. Mm. And yet I knew the only way... I was going to be able to save her was to save myself. You know, that whole idea. Right. You had to lead by example. And so I kind of started taking those steps for both of us, uh, starting by telling my parents the truth. And then I needed to create something to hold on to, to keep me from going back into that lifestyle. And I knew that. So I went to be Miss, I went and um, 
participated in the Miss Utah teen pageant because the, um, why can't I think of the word right now? It's so funny. The platform was substance abuse or club drug uh, abuse education in the state of Utah. So I said, well, if anyone is going to educate the youth of Utah, it should be me. And the judges agreed. And so I won Miss Utah Teen, competed at Miss Teen USA. I was never a pageant type girl, mind you. <laughs> like, was very much one of the loner outsider kid, bad kids um, labeled in where I lived. However, this was the beginning of sharing my story. And after a few years of doing it and traveling all over the world, you know, I helped the United States in educating the. Uh, about the soldiers, we have a huge problem overseas with addiction and, sh and soldiers in particular in like the Middle East or countries where there's a lot of opiate use. So I would speak and, you know, I did a lot of talk shows and all that. But what I realized was that I was trying to make up for everything I felt I'd ever done wrong. I was trying to save my soul in some kind of way and it didn't feel good. And I was connecting people in despair and sadness. I mean, I'd get 200 plus emails every day and I'd email every single one back. And those were after they were filtered um, through someone because, you know, I'd get weird stuff. Of course. <laughs> of course. And this was before, you know, social media. Thank goodness, to be honest with you, because I can't imagine. Right. Could you imagine no. now? <laughs> I mean, I spoke it hundreds of schools in the United States too. So I can't imagine, you know, what else that would have been. Um, and so I realized that I still had a lot of work to do. And I moved to New York City at 19 years old by myself. I got signed to a management company, thought, oh, this is it. My life is going to turn around. I'm going to be the next, you know, pop star. And um, then I got signed to Britney Spears manager's assistant. <laughs> So I thought for sure that, you know, all my worries were over. I was going to be a huge sensation musician. I'd always been a musician. And then that fell apart, right? The plan in what seemed like divine timing or some, you know, gift from God or the universe or whatever you identify with was a slap across the face. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. So through this process, um, I decided to take a step back actually from speaking for a few years because I realized the energy I was coming to it with was not one really of inspiration. And it was connecting me and almost like holding me in a stuck pattern of who I used to be and wasn't leaving the space for me to grow into who I envision or imagine myself to be. So, you know, I stepped away from it. Um, I'd always been a rebellious kid. So I thought, well, maybe my parents are right. Maybe I need to just settle down, get married do that whole thing. So I moved back to Utah after a few years in New York, four or five years and got married and married the, you know, Mormon religious guy that my parents loved and thought maybe I've been doing it wrong. Needless to say, their way didn't work either. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> after a couple years in that marriage and realizing like, wow, you actually can't marry because it looks good on paper. That doesn't work either. So that's when I really started this personal journey for myself. And it came to a head when at 26, I had hypothyroidism and endometriosis, ovarian torsions, fibromyalgia, arthritis in my knees, scoliosis in my back. I mean, I, I was always in pain. I was also drinking wine, large amounts. We're not talking about a glass after work. We're talking about one of those huge magnum bottles. <laughs> 
Right. So now you're self-medicating in a different way. Totally. And, you know, then I couldn't sleep at night because so I would take Ambien to go to sleep, caffeine to wake up and then eating toxic foods. So my body was showing the patterns of all these things, the emotional pain that I had never dealt with, the physical disruption of inflammation, you know, from alcohol, from whatever. And though it wasn't a quote unquote problem. I was quite functional. I wouldn't drink and drive. I wouldn't you know, be throwing up or anything like that. So I saw it as quite functional, had a great job and my body was not functional. My life was not functional. I didn't, I was not in a place that I felt felt was even sustainable. So that started my real journey into what I do now with this wellness space and helping people to translate the unique language their body speaks because the body actually has all the truth that me as a practitioner needs to get to what's the hurt. You know, we, I can identify the symptoms or the person has, but let's talk about where is the source and it could be food related. You know, I've got a wellness background. I've got all of that training as well. But it always is deeper than that. What's the emotional pain? What is the construct conditioning or situation that has certain beliefs ingrained in a person to think they're either not valued, not heard, not significant, not worthy, whatever. When you dig deep enough, it always comes down to these very, very few things that a person's experiencing. So that really led us into what I do now. Cole, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned through this piece of your journey? Uh, The biggest piece for me is that if there is pain in the body, if there is um, medical conditions, that there is maybe emotion isn't the, the whole source, but it does contribute to maybe outbreaks or, um, you know, if something becomes active and that for me, the deepest source was shame and guilt and my inability to forgive myself or to have compassion for myself. So it was really looking at how I internalize my experience of myself. That self-awareness though is so huge, right? Because once you um, start to really learn about yourself and where the root of those problems, you can start to shift things in a, in a positive way. Totally. The, you know, something I developed for myself and now I use it with clients too, is called the three P's and it's pause, physical scan, and then proceed. If you can start with a pause when you're feeling that trigger or that reaction coming up for for whatever, you know, a conversation with a family member, a boss coming at you, whatever, If you can pause first and feel into your body, that physical scan, where am I feeling or where might some sensation be coming from? Because if you feel a tightness in your throat, if you feel a heaviness in your chest, just acknowledging that can actually let you know what's going on in your nervous system and that you're getting heightened. And if you're getting heightened, what happens is you flip into something called the sympathetic nervous system and you can't mentate clearly which means your brain are brains amazing and incredible but what it does if it's if when the front of the brain shuts off when it gets heightened then it's going to pull up out of the rolodex whatever or it's going to shut down and we call that freeze so there's fight or flight or freeze so if you pause first 
Notice if you're getting heightened. Two, physical scan. Where am I at in my sensation? This helps you track in the future as well. Then from there, you can proceed with how you want to respond to what you're experiencing in the current situation. Because under when you do have that self-awareness and as you develop it, that process enables you to choose differently so that if you are with your partner or a spouse or a friend and something they said that actually has nothing to do with your interaction together, it's some trigger to the past, you can choose just by pausing to respond differently this time because you already know. You know, you know you don't want to come at them, <laughs> you know, or go for them <laughs> because it's not them, right? This is an old it never is. Yeah. When you're heightened like that, it does not have to do with the current situation, at least unless it's an extreme situation. Yeah. I find that um, when you can take that pause and not have those knee jerk reactions, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's, um, it's a relationship saver. It's a mental health yes. saver. Like it's, <laughs> it's um, so important, but I feel like it's, it's an art form that you have to really practice that because I think that for many of us, the knee-jerk reaction is is the go-to, yep. right? Because we haven't <laughs> taken the time to develop that self-awareness. And so we're getting triggered all the time, but we're not we're not taking that pause to be like, hang on, whenever this is said to me, whenever this happens, I seem to react in the same way and um, and kind of cut that cycle and do something totally. different. I mean, that's what empowerment is actually. Empowerment is not coming for someone, you know, screaming them out, whatever. That might show that you have power. The thing is though, when you're talking about empowerment, if someone can get you that riled up, they're actually the one in control. Absolutely. And the high, more heightened you get, you can't actually mentate clearly. So even if you do want to argue your point or communicate it, the more elevated you get makes you unable to because you're going to either shift into old patterns or you're just going to shut down. You'll get emotionally flooded. You can't mentate clearly. The prefrontal cortex shuts down and that's it. And then you're going to stew about it for days what you wish you would have said or why couldn't I say it, you know? Yeah. And spend way too much oh, time man. in your head. It's a, that is a tricky, <laughs> tricky place, that head. Yeah, it's it's almost like a vortex. It can kind of swallow you whole if you allow it to. No doubt. I mean, the, if I could be paid for the amount of hours spun in my head over the same topic from different angles and the what ifs and the, I mean, I would, I mean, yeah, the gate the gates wouldn't have anything on me. We'll just say that. Right. Yeah, it is such a challenge though, but I feel like once you you start to do the work. And once you really develop that awareness, it is so freeing. Oh man, no question. Just by, first of all, time's going to pass anyway. If you aren't where you want to be, I always like to look at it like, okay, what in my life is putting me into alignment of what I see and what I desire and what's taking me out of it? I don't classify things as right or wrong. Does this align me with what I want? So if I'm looking at, say, a big purchase, Now, if my long-term goal is to, say, buy a house, that purchase could keep me from obtaining that goal. So it's not that I, that buying, say, an expensive car is wrong. It's like, what, what's actually going to align you with this person you would like to be or envision to be? 
And it's the same with smoking, drinking, whatever. You know, like when I, I smoked hardcore for 16 years, when I stopped smoking, it wasn't, I'm going to quit because it's bad for you. I was always like, I don't feel like quitting. And when I feel like quitting, I will. And then I realized it wasn't about quitting. When, as I got more into wellness, it became an oxymoron. How can I, what's the good of eating all these organic foods and working out every day and smoking every day? Right. right? Sabotaging like, it with the, with the smoking. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was just, I realized as I set more fitness goals, I couldn't obtain them because my lung capacity. Cause I, I could not smoke for weeks at a time late, you know, later we'll say in the last six, seven years, it shifted. So I might, I could go days, weeks, or if I got sick, I could stop cold Turkey because I knew I wasn't going to do it, say with bronchitis. <laughs> you know? right. So it, I, that's also the part of me that knew I wasn't addicted to the chemical element of it. It was the routine. So I just started crowding out the, the routines that weren't aligning me with feeling more expansive, being able to climb you know, the master mountain at Machu Picchu, whatever. So instead of thinking I'm going to quit and cut it out of my life, I just kind of crowded it out. Like there wasn't enough room for it anymore. Right. Because you, you created more positive habits that you Mm -hmm. didn't. Yeah. So then there was never a deficit and I knew I could have a cigarette at any time if I wanted to. And there have been times that I have, and that always came without any judgment as well. So because there wasn't the shame and guilt spiral, you know, I had done the work and showing up and knowing that everything's a choice. I'm not a victim to my choices. I'm not a victim ever. I may have been victimized in moments, but I have not, you know, when you, the, the whole idea of victim is that you're holding it in a current pattern, right? As a verb, like in the moment it's, of now. Yes. And the same with survivor. I, first I was a victim. And I, in fact, I put a book out on Amazon called Someone Save Me. It's, I, I would say if you were going to compare it to a literary work, you couldn't because it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wrote it. I edited it. I didn't go to high school or graduate from high school. I didn't learn the fundamentals of the English language. And it didn't matter at that stage. That's not what I was about. What I realized though, through that process and in reading it now, I'm so grateful I never took it down off of Amazon because it speaks to the growth that I've experienced in the last nine years, because that book was written by a victim. But then after that book, I stepped into a survivor mentality, right? Wow. I'm, I'm a survivor. I've overcome so many things because the addiction, the coma, all that was nothing in the span of what was actually traumatizing for me. I don't remember the coma. So that wasn't traumatizing for me at all. The, I mean, that's a whole other story in itself. Then the pattern of being stuck in a survivor mentality, because I got significance and love from being a survivor of all these like heinous and horrific events in my life. So letting go of that as well, realizing as I started to write a new version of my book, I was writing it as a survivor for significance and love. And to be like, oh, I've come through through so much. And everyone's like, oh, you're so awesome, Cole. You've done so well for (laughs) yourself. That's nice. But then that can become addictive because then it's like, oh, well, I'm grateful that everything that happened to me happened because it's made me a better person. Yeah. I mean, that's true. And there's also this idea that being a survivor, oh, my chihuahua just shook. Hi, baby. 
I always have my four pound Chihuahua Henry sitting with me. And so stepping out of the survivor mentality has been the last five years, a process, but I'd say I've been very much out of it for the last three and recognizing that I don't need my weapons anymore. A survivor still might need their weapons, their tools, their things to protect themselves. Now it's like this thriving or warrior mentality, but more like, I don't know, a ninja maybe, right? Where I don't have to carry a lot of weapons. I don't even need armor. I now know that I've trained and, and navigated so many things in my life that if I need to call on those weapons, I can, but I don't need to carry them and they don't need to be presented first. I can use my communication skills I've developed first. You know, I can read some other um, compassion and uh, love as tools first before I have to pull out weapons. Trust and believe I'll pull out the weapons if I need to, but those don't come out first. And that's the power of the pause. Then the physical scan and the proceed is to not go to the weapons first, especially on people you love. Right. Because now you're living a more proactive life as opposed to a reactive one. Totally. I have far more say in what happens in my life now because someone can't get me all riled up easily. So I'm not giving my power away. I'm not giving my energy away without some serious work on the other person's part. Yeah, that, I think that's that's so huge. And it, you, as you were talking, it reminded me for some reason of this Wayne Dyer quote where he talks about when you label me, you negate me. And I feel like these labels of, you know, the victim or the survivor, because you're so much more than that. There's so much more to each of us, right? Mm-hmm. That we, when we identify as one particular thing, then it sort of negates all these other elements and all these other components that make us us. Totally. You know, you can, you can attach for moments to identity. And like you said, that's not who you are, right? That's kind of like what you are or where you are. In or where you've moment. been. Yeah. Totally. And it's recognizing that the longer you cling to something, then I feel like that's when life comes to show you another version. And if yeah. you're clinging too tightly to that identity, it can be very painful. Right. Cause it's almost like the universe is like, oh, so you think you're done now, right? right. That this label is the final <laughs> destination. Cute. And it's like, uh, you're not. There's so totally. much more left to go. So yeah, it's just that that little shake or maybe a major shake, depending on on how much waking up we need to do. Yeah. And, and becoming more present just means recognizing that that's happening if it happens and just saying, all right, I guess we're going for this ride because I, you know, I'm human. I got on my soapbox a little bit, got, you know, thinking I don't have any problems anymore and I'm great. And then uh, having my booty handed to me and, or a two by four for, you know, to the face of that's cute. That's nice call that you think that you're so wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. It looks like you're getting a little bit too comfortable right now. Hang on a second. (laughs) Yeah. Let's take you for a little ride to remember that it can change in an instant. Seriously. Cole, what advice would you give to somebody who's going through something similar in their own life where they're, they're struggling because whether they have issues with feeling worthy that they have issues where they're holding on to guilt for things that have happened in the past that they haven't been able to let go of, what advice would you offer? You know, with, 
with the age of the internet, the way that it is now, you can find whatever you need for the stage you're in right now for free. It takes more research. It takes more, you know, time perhaps. And at the same time, it's like the thing that has helped me the most is finding people that I could really follow that had been on a similar path, whether it was a similar medical condition that they stopped subscribing to. You know, my the medical dish, um, conditions I had, I don't even um, list them anymore because they haven't been active for years. I haven't been medicated for years. So I no longer even identify with them. So in a process, it's, is there someone out there? And trust me, these days there is. <laughs> if you Google, you will find your answers, whether it's for PCOS, um, hypothyroidism, you know, overflexible joints. Someone is a few steps ahead of you in the process. And being able to see yourself in someone else is part of, as humans, what gives us hope. Oh, if they did it, then I can. Or listening to a podcast like yours and saying like, wow, maybe I didn't go through what that person has, but I can see everything they've gone through. So I know I can. And then besides that, it's trusting that the process is cyclical that it is a process. It's not always in a linear straight line. In fact, it's never linear. And the number one thing that helped me the most in those first transitionary periods was changing my diet. Because by lowering the inflammation, I could think clearly. The I didn't have as much pain in my joints. And that at least brought down that meter from like a nine out of 10 every day or a 10 out of 10 down to a six or a seven. So I had more energy. I had more patience. I had more ability to see hope. So if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would ever have, that I would ever achieve pain-free, I couldn't have even conceived that. You know, the there's this saying, whatever you can whatever your brain can conceive and believe uh, your mind can achieve kind of a thing. I said it wrong, but you get the gist. Yeah. <laughs> and we're limited by what we can conceive. So, yeah. you know, it's like start by getting yourself from a 10 to an eight, an eight to a six, a six to a four, whatever you are, wherever you are in that process, because time's going to move forward anyway, but one degree shift, one commitment to yourself and forgiveness for not doing it perfectly all the time. A year from now, the trajectory means you're in a completely different place. You know, if you factor in one new habit a month or research one other part of your condition, medicine's changing all the time. You know, my husband was supposed to be blind by now. And the so he spent most of his 20s and 30s anticipating when he could not see the things he loves anymore. And oh, wow. now his, not only did it stop, it has started to reverse because stress has a huge role on degenerative conditions. What's your beliefs around your condition? Are you, have you really taken that badge someone gave you, whether it's that you're ADD, whether it's that you've got this medical condition, have you decided that to be true and holding it in the present? Or is there other possibilities because there are miracles every day. And more people are willing to assume that something is wrong with them or they are innately broken than they are innately deserving of a miracle. So my advice, besides what I said already, if I was going to simplify it, is allow the space for you to be the miracle. 
for you to have these surprising turnarounds and these amazing stories because it's happening to people every day and miracles come with effort, in my opinion. Yeah, I that, that's some great advice because I think that that's, that's the issue for a lot of us, right? Is that limitation about what's possible. And so to have that that perception that you know you're like you are limitless and that anything is possible is something that we have to to train ourselves to do and you might have to change your environment a little with the internet you can do oh, that oh absolutely because you might live in an environment where everyone is holding you to that you know and saying what you can and can't do and what you're worthy of and just finding facebook groups you know that are aligned with people on the journey already finding inspiration. Because if it's not in your direct environment, you need to find it so that your brain can start to conceive something else as possible. Until that happens, you're not going to be able to change much. Yeah. Having a strong support system is so important. So important. Cool. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? You know, I don't think so. I think we actually covered a lot in such a short period of time. We did. Um, (laughs) You know, it's just... I would say, especially if you were on a journey like I was and you're wanting to learn more about the mind-body connection and the impact of some of these subconscious thoughts, you can always hit me up, of course. And there's two books that I recommend highly. One is called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. The other is Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. Those two books bring so much perspective and insight to childhood trauma or adverse childhood environments to uh, the health of us as adults. So that would be a beautiful place to start and bring perspective if that's the journey you're on. Awesome. So when I, um, you'll find links to that, the listeners, when I, when you go back to the show notes, because I'll have links to those two books that Cole just mentioned. And there will also be links to connect with Cole um, her website, social media handles, all that good stuff in the show notes as well. And so cool. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your willingness to share your journey. And again, uh, for the listeners, if you're in your car or at the gym or walking your dog, um, you can always come back to the show notes to learn more about Cole and where to find her and um, learn more about all the amazing things that she's doing. And so until next week, have an awesome day, an awesome week and take care. <laughs>